This podcast contains adult language and content. The stories in this show can be frightening and disturbing for some. Listener discretion is advised. If you have a story to share, send it to letsnotmeetstories at gmail.com. Enjoy the show. My name is Andrew Tate, and this is Season 7, Episode 1 of Let's Not Meet, the True Horror Podcast. Welcome to the Season 7 premiere of Let's Not Beat, a true horror podcast. Hope you all enjoyed the live stream season finale episode last week. I'm slowly updating the Patreon with all of the videos from our performances. So if you want to check that out, it's available for all levels over at patreon.com forward slash let's not meet podcast. Coming up in this season, we have some brand new guests, as well as some returning favorites, and a handful of your Lost Stories episodes, the first of which I believe will be coming up sometime in September. But let's go ahead and get things started. Enjoy the show. It was a Friday in the spring many years ago. Like most nine-to-fivers, my friend and I couldn't wait to start the weekend. We decided we were going to go out for a drink. Just one drink tonight, we said to each other. And like most nights that we went out together, we made a promise. Just the one drink, and we'll never leave each other's sides the entire time we're out. You see, we aren't oblivious even in our just barely 21-year-old minds, to the monsters that walk among us. We were two young, very attractive females, and we always had fun together. I go to her house after work and change out of my work scrubs. We do our hair and makeup while listening to music to get us into the mood to be out at the bar that has a live dueling piano bar on the main floor and a pool hall-type bar up the stairs. We head up the stairs after arriving, and walking through the ever-growing crowd of the dueling piano area, where they have already started their evening. After going up the stairs, we sit in the far corner of the bar, away from everyone and everything. After all, we're only here for one drink. So there was no need for us to get very friendly or force socializing. We both order a tall beer. We have a few sips and then start talking about our stressful weeks. We're engulfed in conversation when my friend suddenly leans into me a bit and whispers, I'm getting the creeps from these guys that keep staring in our direction. I twist my seat a bit, as if I were to try and take a drink of my beer, and peer out of the corner of my eyes into the direction that she told me they were. I can see two attractive young males. They look to be in their late 20s, looking in our direction. I turn back to my friend and I tell her to relax. They're really cute. I'm sure they're harmless. They do look harmless. How naive I was. 
Now, I should mention that we made a promise that night before heading out that no matter what, we would not leave each other's side. This is important to remember, which is why I'm bringing it up again. These guys make their way over to us. They strike up a conversation. They offer to buy us another drink to which we both politely declined. We made up some tale about a huge party tomorrow, so we were saving the outlandish type of fun for that. They insist on buying us another drink, to which we again politely decline. They seem very disappointed. We try to end the conversation since we're getting some pretty creepy vibes from their level of insistence. They find ways to keep the conversation going, though. They're trying to get us to join them and have another drink. They've positioned themselves in such a way that they had separated themselves from each other, and to talk to one of them, you had to look away from the other. Now, several hours have gone by since our arrival. I told my friend I was feeling pretty tired. We better get going since our boyfriends were waiting on us, and we didn't want to upset them by making them wait longer than we originally had planned. We take the last few drops of our beers, put our cups close to the edge so that the bartender knew that we were done for the evening, and stand up to walk away. Immediately, I feel this strange sensation come over me. The type of sensation you feel when you've had two drinks too many. You're uneasy on your feet, lightheaded, and everything's a little fuzzy. I look at my friend, and I tell her what I thought was, get me home. Turns out it was just a bunch of slurred, jumbled words. Something was wrong. My friend sprung into action. We both worked in the medical field, and we knew the signs that someone had been drugged. The guys come over trying to help after noticing I stumbled a few times. They offered to help her get me into the car, to which she firmly declines their offer. She told them that we spent too much time here and that I was just simply tired and she needed zero assistance. They're still very insistent. They follow us down the back steps. This entrance slash exit has a bouncer and one very small door. She whispers to the bouncer something I don't quite remember. And then everything finally just goes black. The next thing I can remember is waking up in my own bed the next morning with a massive headache and this aching in my stomach. My friend has texted me five times and called me once already this morning. I roll over to grab my phone and I'm stopped by my boyfriend. He says, you had a really long and trying night last night. Just let me answer it for you. I stare at him and ask him, what the hell happened? He immediately gets this look of shock, or possibly horror, across his face. I'm not sure which it was. He says, you probably won't ever remember what happened. You were drugged last night. I instantly feel like I'm about to vomit. I gasp in shock and shiver at the same time. I manage to spit out, what? When? How? What the hell happened? He says, I guess you should really call Sam. If it wasn't for her, I'm sure you wouldn't have been safe. And I'm positive you wouldn't be waking up like this. I immediately beg him to hand me my phone. I dial up my friend and she sounds so shaken up that I just knew she was more scared than I had ever felt. 
Apparently, right about when my memory goes blank is when things got really scary. As the guys chased us down the stairs, she shot the bouncer a look of horror and simply said, please help us. He sprang into action. He used his walkie-talkie and radio to the bouncer at the front. He swung around into the alley and assisted my friend and I to our vehicle, while the other bouncer kept the two other guys at bay, not allowing them to follow us. I am positive, had my friend not recognized I wasn't right after one beer, or had she thought I was a lightweight and allowed these men to help us to the vehicle, I may not be telling you this story. That night would have been much worse had I not had such an amazing friend by my side to help me. To my knowledge, these two men were never arrested. I did get blood testing done to prove I was drugged. My friend and boyfriend did this together that night. And they did help me file a police report. But to this day, there's been no follow-up or arrest made in any connection with my complaint. Now, since this night many years ago, I have taken self-defense classes and also awareness seminars on how to protect yourself from these types of men. I've also been lifting weights and doing CrossFit. If anything like this ever happens again, I won't be the scrawny, naive, unable to defend herself girl ever again. So to the creepy guys at the piano bar, let's never meet again for your safety. So this happened the other night while my husband and I are playing on our computers. He gets this text from his mom, who we'll call Rachel for the sake of the story. The message explains that Rachel and my husband's 19-year-old sister Libby have been noticing weird noises and doors slamming a lot lately. It's become so frequent that they're getting freaked out and they can't find a way to keep writing it off as a coincidence or something logical. Rachel tells him that something is very off with the house. Now let me mention quick that this is not a new theory about the house. It's a large riverside house with a walkout basement. The entire side of the house that faces the river is covered in windows, which makes you feel very exposed and uneasy. My husband and I have also speculated that the house has bad energy, especially in the guest room that we have to stay in when we visit. The room is at the far end of the basement where no one goes unless they have visitors or need something out of the storage closet across the hall from the room. We both get uneasy and don't like being downstairs alone while we're visiting. Anyway, while he's texting her, Rachel is making a comment about the place being haunted. At this point, she's pretty freaked out and couldn't logically explain what was going on. So she was using humor to stay calm, but it was clearly unsettled. She then sends him a grainy video of the security camera that faces the door to the aforementioned guest room. The video shows the door seemingly opening by itself. This video was the point where we stopped taking this as they are freaking themselves out about ghosts and oh shit, there is actually something going on and it's not good. So he decides to call her 
and gather more information about the happenings that have been going on. She explains that they hear outside doors slamming occasionally and speculating that they believe their things are getting moved or misplaced. She also said that the night before, while Libby, Rachel, and the two dogs were sitting in the living room, feet away from the kitchen, suddenly the refrigerator door shuts hard out of nowhere. The both of them and one of the dogs all heard it and perked up, but there was nothing there. With all of this, we start to think about the situation and realize that this is something much worse than a ghost. This is likely somebody in their house. My husband points this chilling realization out to his mom, who brushes it off by claiming that the dogs would let them know if there was someone in the house. The thing is, though, while they are big mastiffs with a temper, it's not impossible to win them over by bribing them with treats. Again, he tries to convince Rachel that this is a real threat and that she should really call the police. After a while of going back and forth pleading for her to get out of the house and call the police, she gives a very dismissive, yeah, okay. Maybe I'll call tomorrow. And she ends the call. Frustrated and concerned for his family's safety, we rewatch the footage that she sent, trying to find anything that could be evidence of a person in the house. After a few views, we noticed a small movement that looked like a foot behind the door. He pauses it there and takes a screen grab and sends it to her. See? There's someone's foot. There is someone in your house. And if they aren't there right now, they have found a way to come and go as they please. Please, just call the police or get a hotel. About 15 minutes after sending that image, he gets a text back to tell us that she finally called the police and that they're on the way. We were very relieved, but still pretty on edge from the whole situation and the bone-chilling video. We decided to do a walkthrough of our apartment before we get ready for bed, since it was about 11 p.m. now. After an hour and a lot of opening and closing doors and checking windows, we finally crawl into bed. Right then, we get a text from Rachel. They found a nest of pillows and blankets in the far corner of the guest room, and the door was unlocked again. There was also a pack of cigarettes sitting outside the door. They couldn't find anyone in the house, but they knew for a fact my husband was right. There had been someone there without them ever suspecting it all along. I understand that this isn't the end result that most people were looking for, but mind you that this discovery is arguably the worst case scenario. They confirmed that someone had been in their house, but they did not find them, which means that they are still out there in the streets. Also, it is horrifying to think that this person has been moving around in the house, taking food, and sleeping under the same roof as them for who knows how long. And the nest this person had made for themselves was in the basement mere feet away from where his two teenage sisters sleep. 
It also leaves me with a pit in my stomach because we will never know how long this person has been freely coming and going. And I'll never know if they were the reason that I always felt like something was wrong, like I was being watched while I was there. Regardless, I'm just glad that the police were called before anything happened to them. And to the creep sneaking in and out of my mother-in-law's house, let's not meet. I have had more than my fair share of bizarre and unreal stories in my life. This particular incident happened when I was 13 years old and is about a friend of mine who I had known and been super close with since I was five. We'll call her Lucy. We went to school together and shared a close-knit group of friends. We were the only girl goths in the town that we lived in, so naturally, we stuck together. It was the kind of town where everyone knew each other and knew everyone else's business. Lucy was a really trusting person. Too trusting, I felt. I was the opposite. She seemed to have very little boundaries and would say yes to anyone. Unfortunately, she got into a fair amount of dangerous situations. This one always sticks out in my mind. One night during the summer holidays, a few friends and I were hanging out at my parents' house, listening to music and talking. Someone told me that earlier that day in town, Lucy had been approached by a random guy, definitely a lot older than any of us, and he had asked her to go for a pint in a pub down the road. And she, of course, had excitedly said yes. And by the time the two of them had exited the pub, they were quote-unquote dating. Let's remember Lucy is 13 here. No one has a clue who this guy was. No one recognized him. No one had seen him before. And the only information they had managed to get about him was his name. But we'll just call him Creep. I got pretty pissed off that, for one, this man had taken her to a pub, and two, that she had just gone along with it thinking it was a good thing, and not even thinking about or caring about what this guy's intentions were. The next day, I made plans to meet a friend of mine in town. We had a shopping center that we often used as a meeting point, and I was going to meet him there. I was about two streets away from the center when suddenly my hat was gone from my head. I turned around expecting to see a friend of mine. Instead, there was this man standing there, just stood still on the spot with a massive grin on his face holding my hat. I can literally still see the picture, that stupid grin on his face now 17 years later. As I stood there looking at him, I somehow instinctively knew that this was the guy that Lucy had been to the pub with. You must be creep, I said. He replied with my name. I have no idea how he knew who I was. He knew what I looked like, enough to come up and single me out on the street and take my hat off my head. I hadn't even seen or spoken to Lucy about him yet. I turned away from him and started walking towards the center again. He followed me. 
He was shouting things at me as we walked down the street, asking me why I didn't want him to be with Lucy. I couldn't understand how he knew that I was mad about it when I hadn't even spoken to her yet. I turned around and told him to fuck off, and I told him Lucy is a psycho. I said this as a knee-jerk response to this guy following me. I just wanted him to leave me alone. I made it to the shopping center, and the creep was still right behind me. I met my friend, and this is when it all kicked off. The creep came up to me and pushed me hard in the chest. I had one of those moments where what is happening is so bizarre that you just stand there watching the situation unfold in front of you. You don't do anything about it. My friend didn't do anything either. The grin had completely disappeared from the creep's face, and he was now in a full-blown rage, walking backwards out of the shopping center whilst screaming at me to never speak to Lucy again. I was so unbelievably confused. Like, who the fuck is this guy? Some random guy telling me to never talk to my friend anymore. Some random guy pushing a 13-year-old girl in the chest. I felt shaken up by what had just happened, but mostly pissed off and went to find Lucy. There was a little goth shop in town that we all used to take over on the weekends and during school holidays. I found her there. I told her exactly what had just happened, but she wouldn't listen to a word of it and told me I just hated seeing her happy. She told me that he was a gentleman and that he really liked her. I tried desperately to get her to see some sense. I laid out exactly what happened in the space of literally one day and kept stating the fact that he's an older guy no one knows and that she doesn't know anything about him and that he deems it okay to put his hands on young girls. I was very worried about her. She refused to hear it, though. She told me to go away and not to speak to her anymore. About a month had passed. I had some friends staying at my parents, and it must have been at about 3 a.m. My phone rang. It was Lucy. She was absolutely hysterical, and she wanted to meet me the next day. I met her and she told me that the creep had tried to coerce her into doing things that she didn't feel comfortable with. When she said no, he threatened to stab her. She refused to go into details, but she luckily managed to get away from him and hadn't seen him since. See, it turns out that this creep was in his 30s and had just been released from prison. He says for stabbing someone. I'm not sure I believe that's what he was inside for. And that's why he moved to our town. He was clearly a lunatic and someone who should not have been released from prison. The next week, I hung out with Lucy as normal. Things seemed to have calmed down, and we heard literally nothing from this creep. We didn't see him. He didn't text. He didn't try to phone. There was a nice relief in the air for Lucy. She thought that it was over. Unfortunately, the weirdest part is yet to come. You see, the school holidays ended and we returned to school. We put the whole situation to the back of our minds and we were now getting on with our 13-year-old lives. First morning of school seemed normal. 
Then lunchtime came. We had this big area in our school called the concourse. It was an indoor hallway full of lockers and benches where everyone hung out in groups during the intervals and lunchtime. There were some vending machines on the far side of the concourse near the entrance. That's where we usually hung out. We were standing there talking amongst ourselves when out of the corner of our eye, we see the creep. Not only was this creep somehow in our concourse, inside of our school building, he was in a fucking school uniform. As he walked past us, he didn't take his eyes off of Lucy. He looked pissed. I was immediately full of adrenaline, but neither of us could believe what we were seeing. We just looked at each other in complete disbelief. Lucy started to panic. We couldn't even say anything to one another. We were just in shock. How on earth was he in our school pretending to be a fucking pupil? How had this happened and no authority had noticed? We didn't tell anyone. Lucy was afraid of this guy and she understandably felt too afraid to go tell someone in case this creep found out. And she didn't want me to either. In hindsight, I wish I had. This is dark. There's a 30-something-year-old man in our school, in a school uniform, somehow passing as a pupil. He stayed at our school for two to three weeks. The strangest thing is that after the first day of him being there, he didn't even bother Lucy at all. He spent the first day following her around. After that seemed to completely lose interest, he was going around the place behaving like a legitimate pupil. We didn't tell anyone. We didn't let on to anyone that we knew who he was. We just silently watched his movements and became more and more confused as to what was going on. Eventually, he disappeared and we never saw him again. There's a park in our town that all of the goth teenagers used to hang out in all day throughout the summer. And on the outskirts of this park, there was a small group of men that would hang out and try to lure girls from the group to them. A group of obvious pedophiles, some of them who ended up going to prison. It turns out that this creep was in that group. I assume that's what he was really in prison for before he moved to our town. Now, being older, I really do wish that I had said something to someone about him at the time. Who knows what he could have gotten up to whilst he was at the school or after he disappeared from it. I should have gone to someone. I think that when you're younger, you have the ability to force yourself to pretend that things aren't as terrifying as they actually are. So 30-something pedophile who threatened to stab my friend and then turned up at our school as a pupil to try and frighten her? Let's not meet. I started working at a family-owned restaurant back in 2011. I had already had some experience as a cook, so I got the job from a friend's recommendation and was doing great. It was busy. I was mainly a fry cook. The head chef was about 16 years older than me, and he knew his stuff. 
He was bossy, knew his way around. He was the head of everything in the kitchen, and he was very outspoken. But he was very friendly, and we often went out for smoke breaks together on and off. Eventually, we became friends. Friends enough that I took on the task of babysitting his kids before my cooking shift until his wife got home. Then I went to work at the restaurant. His kids were great, and I really enjoyed spending time with them. Eventually, though, things got a little bit too much for me to deal with. He started making sexual gestures and remarks towards me. He would watch me in the walk-in cooler and try to almost seduce me. I should have reported him, but with my personality, I kind of laughed it off because it was ridiculous. He was happily married with kids, and I was in my early 20s with nothing to do except go out with friends and work. But then he started texting me. A lot. About work mostly at the start, but then it got weird. He would send me these kissy faces and hearts. I was confused because... I never really got attention from guys, and being in a long-term relationship myself since 2006, I was just thinking, whoa, dude, calm down. For fear of losing my job, I didn't say anything or report him to his boss, but I would just kind of go along with it. There was one time where I had to go upstairs into the attic area to get some things in the extra freezers, and he would catch me up there try to hold me. I was very uncomfortable, and I would push away, but he was a very large man compared to me, so it never really worked. He would just force himself on me. Eventually, work was unbearable. I fell into pill-popping narcotics just to be able to keep my job and not punch him in the nuts, honestly. Even a few times before he left his home while I was babysitting, he would try to kiss me in front of the children. Like, what the fuck? I I must have given him the wrong impression. I mean, I did say no plenty of times. But to be honest, I was terrified of him. I was afraid to lose my job. Afraid that my friend who helped get him to hire me would hate me. I was afraid my boyfriend would kill him. I just did what I had to do and left. Then, while he was on medical leave, the new chef came in take his place, and even though it sucked, I was relieved. I didn't have him around. I didn't have to be in such close spaces in the kitchen or in the walk-in cooler with this big man who obviously was trying to force me into some kind of relationship or even having sex with him. He would literally grab me during work with whomever was in the kitchen at the time. The kitchen we worked in was very small. The kitchen term behind you never really worked because it was such a tight space. And the owner was drunk, so I never reported anything because she could honestly care less. Eventually, my pursuer came back to work. I was mortified and scared. The whole time he was on leave, I ignored his calls and texts. He said he had photos of me naked that he would use as blackmail. They were for my fiancé, and the cook stole them off of my phone. Eventually, I had had enough, and I didn't show up for my shift. I just quit. But he never stopped with the calls. His wife ended up finding the photos of me on the computer, and after that, 
She was calling me and calling me. Then they were both texting me. At one point, he said that she was willing to work out being married and having an open relationship because he said that he was in love with me. I couldn't take it. I told my now fiancé. He lost it, obviously, then blocked his number, her number, and deleted everything I could find about him and his family. One day, he texted me a photo outside of my house and said, Should I knock? He then threatened to rape me. I immediately then called my mom. She called him and left him a message that I will not repeat. I've never heard her say the F word so many times. She threatened to kill him, call the police, or worse. And after that, I never heard from him again. I never worked in a restaurant again, and never will, probably because of fear of it happening again or him working there. It makes me sick to tell this story, but no one has ever heard it before except my mom. I'm now 33 years old and still have nightmares of him, as vivid as can be. He also threatened to hurt me and my sister and my dog. Every time I see a car that looks like his, I cringe. I'm so glad that it's over, and I hope we never meet again. I was 19 years old at the time this story took place. It was 2003, and I waitressed at a trendy Asian bistro downtown. I lived in a little apartment about two miles away, and I didn't have a car, so I walked back and forth to work. The restaurant owners also ran a popular club-slash-music venue next door, and after our shifts, it was common for the wait staff from the bistro to go and hang out there. That night, we wrapped up service and went next door to party and listened to a local band play. Even though I was underage, I did have a couple of drinks with friends and we had a generally great night. We all parted ways around 1 a.m. when the bar closed down and I headed off towards my house. I had made this walk a million times and I was in a great mood, and just enjoying the cool air as I wandered through the familiar streets. Now just to add a bit more context, I'm a five-foot-tall woman, and at the time, I was probably weighing about 110 pounds. I lived with a male friend, and for Christmas that past year, he had given me a pair of brass knuckles. They were illegal in our state, but he never felt comfortable with me walking to and from work alone, especially when I was prone to staying out until the bar closed. He made me promise to always walk home with them in my hand. It seemed silly, but I had been walking with them in my hand ever since. I should also note that even though cell phones were getting to be more common at the time, I was a broke waitress and did not have one. So there I was, walking down the main strip, streets lined with bars and restaurants and little shops, brass knuckles on my hand, hands both in front and my hoodie pocket. I made the right turn 
off of the main road and onto a somewhat more industrial type road lined with office buildings and other non-retail type businesses. I was halfway home and my street was right off of this one. A car passed me, a bit slowly. I glanced at them. They just kept going. They passed me and turned right onto the next street. I figured they slowed down to turn, but they only went a ways down that street and parked. A little weirder, but as I walked past that street, they stayed where they were, and I just kept walking. Coming up on my right was some kind of large warehouse-type building. It took up the whole corner of the block. I hustled past it, not even thinking about that car anymore. But once I got to the end of the building, there he was, the man that I saw in the car, jumped from out of the darkness and grabbed me in a big bear hug way. He must have waited until I was out of sight and then ran all the way around the back of the building so that he could snatch me up when I got to that corner. He started dragging me behind the building. I was literally kicking and screaming, but it was 1.30 a.m. and there was no one around. I wrestled myself back and forth and side to side, then managed to somehow get turned around and get my right arm loose enough to pull it back and swing at his face. The cold brass knuckles made hard contact with his jaw, and he let out a very angry, very surprised noise and instantly dropped me. This guy had no idea what hit him. As soon as I felt him release his grip, I took off running. He started chasing me on foot, yelling, You fucking bitch, I'm gonna fucking kill you. I glanced back as I rounded the corner and into a neighborhood and I saw that he was running the opposite direction, back to his car. I ran as fast as I could and hid in someone's yard. My back pressed against their garage, trying to catch my breath. And that's when I saw his car creeping down the street, trying to find me. He switched off his headlights and drove slowly past. Once he was past the yard that I was hiding in, I crept through the yards, trying to make my way towards my apartment. It took me almost half an hour to navigate what was probably less than a mile through the neighborhood. I was so scared that he would see me and follow me home. I finally got to my place. My buddy and I lived on the top floor of a two-story house. It was split up into three apartments. I practically crawled up the stairs in the dark, praying that the man wasn't watching me from someplace I couldn't see. I got inside and checked all of the doors and windows. Once I knew everything was locked, I finally let myself break down and cry. I thought about calling the police, but I didn't even know what to tell them. I didn't get a good look at his face. I couldn't tell you what kind of car he was in. I was underaged, and I had been drinking. I struck the man with an illegal weapon. I decided it would be more trouble than it was worth. I still wonder what would have happened to me if he had gotten me behind that building or into his car. I know it would not have been good. So to the creepy guy hiding behind the building 18 years ago, 
let's not meet again. Back in 2015, one of my first jobs in university was at a frozen yogurt franchise. And for whatever reason, we were open in the winter and we also served coffee. Since no one wants to eat frozen yogurt when it's negative 30 degrees Celsius out, our night shifts are incredibly slow, and our manager had us close up the shop alone. We were all girls working at the store in downtown Montreal, which at times was frequented by very shifty individuals, mostly people with substance addictions looking for a bathroom so they could use drugs. It was very scary as a 19-year-old, though, to close up the entire store all alone and go home after 11 p.m. But a girl needed a job. One evening, an old man walks in and asks me for a cup of coffee, which was strange as there was a Tim Hortons right next to us. I immediately got this sinking feeling in my heart when he spoke to me. And in effort to make him leave, I told him that it would take a couple of minutes to brew the coffee as it wasn't something people frequently ordered, and making a big batch would be wasteful. Both true, by the way. He says he doesn't mind and pulls up a chair to sit right in front of me and observes me. Every move that I make. He tells me his name is Carl and asks me what my name is, where I go to school, where I'm from, and where I live. Since I've been watching Law and Order SVU since I was eight years old, Thanks, Mom. I always have a fake backup story for these types of situations. I tell him my fake name, fake program, fake hometown, etc. And I make as little amount of eye contact as possible. I keep my answers brief, not allowing him any room to follow up with questions. He proceeds to tell me, through his coffee-stained, crooked teeth, how pretty I am, and how the coffee was so good, he would now come in all the time for coffee. Also, our coffee was shit. He stays in the store until the literal last minute before closing time, then leaves. I whip out my phone and send a message to our text group, warning my friends and co-workers of Creepy Coffee Carl. A couple of weeks go by, and he comes every now and then, each time doing something creepier than the last. He tried following my friend into the staff room. He asked my other friend if she had a boyfriend, asked us very personal questions, and would just stare at me whilst hiding his legs under the table. It came to a point that we would lie and say that we were out of coffee, and he would just buy whatever was cheapest and stay in the store for hours on end watching us. And remember, we always did closing shifts alone. We told our manager about him, and she said he's probably harmless, just an old man, and we should ignore him. Well, none of us took that shit, and we all threatened to quit if we couldn't ban him from the store. So one day he comes in, and my friend tells him off and threatens to call the police and banishes him from the vicinity. He would still pass by the store, lurk around, and 
not come in. One day, a girl came into the store and said that she worked here a while back. We chatted a bit, and I asked her if she ever dealt with the creepy man who orders coffee. Her eyes widen, jaw drops, and she says, Carl still doesn't come in here, does he? I'm freaking out because she informed me that she also kicked him out of the store, but she doesn't work there anymore and the whole staff has changed. He noticed this staff turnover and he came back. She says that her friend worked at a sandwich store next door and that he would bother her as well. He would follow her into the metro after her shift. He tried to touch her hair on multiple occasions and would also follow her into employee-only areas. He stalked her, and one day, he was standing outside of her high school, waiting for her. She filed a restraining order against him and quit her job. So this asshole noticed that there are girls working alone in the middle of the night and would actively take advantage of that. He tethered just the right amount of annoyance and illegal. Because you can't really call the cops if someone's being creepy, but I say you should. Years have passed, and I still tell this story to my girlfriends all the time. Recently, in retelling this story to one of my colleagues, she noticed some similarities and described his appearance perfectly, saying that he would frequent coffee shops around universities, follow young females around, and pleasure himself under tables. This nasty creep is still out there. Carl, which probably isn't your real name. Creepy Coffee Carl. Let's not ever meet again. If you'd like to get access to ad-free extended versions of these episodes every single week, head over to patreon.com forward slash let's not meet podcast to sign up today. You're going to get access to over a year's worth of content immediately. And I've slowly been adding all of the live video performances from the live stream finale last weekend. So if you are a patron, don't forget to stick around after the music for all of your bonus stories. Thank you so much for listening this week. You have heard a story by listener Danielle, The Open Door by Nicole, Creep by Francis Lavelle, Coworker by M, Creepy Walk Home by Tiffany, and finally, Creepy Coffee Carl by L. All of the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast, is not associated with Reddit or any other message boards online. And as always, if you have a story to share, send it to me at letsnotmeetstories at gmail.com. I read and review every story that I get personally. I'll see you all next week for a brand new episode of Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast. Stay safe out there. Context, this story happened in 2010 when I was 22.